Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And on today's episode, we're doing something a little bit more unique. I want to share with you a story from scriptures that Jesus spoke and help you to understand how stewardship and discipleship are interconnected. I believe that discipleship and stewardship are part of the same role that God's called us to do. We are disciples, but we also are stewards. And to the degree that we are effective and faithful disciples, we need to be good stewards. And I think one cannot be without the other. In other words, you cannot be a disciple without being a faithful steward. And you cannot be a faithful steward without being a disciple, right? If you're going to steward well what God has entrusted to you, it needs to be because you are doing God's will, not your own. And that's what discipleship is. It's following Jesus. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, looking over chapters 14 through 16. I encourage you to pull out your Bible and follow along with me. Feel free to pause this podcast if you need to read the text fully to gain the most out of this teaching. You know, there's a downside to having the Bible broken into chapters and verses, especially when the text is sharing a story or dialogue. Paul's epistles, for instance, are letters he wrote to different individuals and people groups. He shares many different things in his letters, but they're not random topics or ideas. There's a connection, a specific intent in his writings. When reading the Bible as it is, broken into chapters and verses, it creates for us these unnatural breaks, which can easily cause us to miss the connection, intent, and even the depth in the writing's meaning. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, we are introduced to three parables. They are the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, all shared by Jesus. I've read these stories many times over the years, but it wasn't until someone asked me a question about the story of the dishonest manager, written in chapter 16, that I saw the connection and the reason Jesus shared these stories. Now, before I go any further, let me make a quick disclaimer. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that. And often the stories and instructions we read have more than one meaning. God is incredibly creative and multifaceted, so when he says one thing, he's also saying many other things. It's what makes the scripture so valuable for our life. God's word is relevant and speaks to us no matter what season of life we're in. By sharing what I believe Jesus is saying in these passages of scripture, I am not negating any other meaning or interpretation found in them. All right, so several years ago, the question that prompted my search to better understand this passage of scripture came from a fellow pastor. He had been reading through the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16 and came to verse 8, which says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He wanted to know, is Jesus saying that the actions of the manager, though obviously dishonest toward the master, are good? Now, if you're not familiar with the story of the dishonest manager, let me provide you with a bit of context. There was a master who had a manager working for him, 
and he found out that he had been doing some shady business. So he called him to give an account for his actions. Knowing he has no excuse for his dishonest behavior, the manager realizes he will be found out and fired. He quickly goes into self-preservation mode. He springs into action knowing he's going to be out of a job and have no place to live because in those days, most managers lived on the master's property. So he calls his master's debtors and makes deals with them to lower their debt in hopes that they will be favorable toward him and provide a job or place to live after he is fired. For this behavior alone, the shrewdness with which he acted, the master commends him, not for his dishonesty. Several of the parables that Jesus told depict a master-steward relationship. All theologians agree that the master represents God, while the steward represents man, whom God put in charge of what he owns. So when Jesus says that the master, meaning God, commended the manager, the steward, for his shrewdness, he's sharing something relevant to us, the stewards of God's creation. When I was asked this question, I thought I knew the answer, and for a brief moment, I wanted to respond with a one or two sentence answer. However, I was compelled to provide him with the best answer, which meant I needed to study and meditate on this passage more deeply. And I started by asking some basic questions, which I believe are helpful when we read scripture. Why did Jesus tell this story? Why did he tell this story at this specific time? Was this story preceded by something else? And is that connected in some way? What follows this story? And is that somehow connected? And last, what does it all mean and why does it matter? Have you ever started reading a book in the middle? No, of course not. No one ever does. Doing so would make understanding the book very difficult, if not nearly impossible. Sure, you'd probably get some pieces of the story, but would you really understand the author's intent and the story he is trying to tell? Hardly. Reading the Bible is no different. Most of the books of the Bible, except for a few, are written as letters or stories. Reading them randomly can yield some benefits, especially when reading Proverbs or the book of Psalms, but it will not provide a holistic understanding of God's message through this miraculous book. The story of the dishonest manager is at the beginning of chapter 16, and it's easy to see it as a standalone story, but it isn't. If you read the book of Luke as you would any other book, you will understand the context and the setting of this story, providing you more insight than you would have otherwise had. So let's begin where Jesus first started speaking. Luke 14 begins with Jesus going into the house of a ruler of the Pharisees on a Sabbath. He shares several things through the conversation of that interaction, which ends in verse 24. In verse 25, we're told that a great multitude went with Jesus and he turned and said to them. Jesus is no longer in the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. This next scene takes place on a different day or perhaps another time on the same day. As Jesus is walking with this great multitude in tow, he stops and begins speaking with those that were present. What he says next is to emphasize what one must do to be his followers. Now let your imagination go there. See Jesus walking at the front, and as you pan up and out, you see a large crowd following him. With this picture in mind, imagine Jesus stopping. The crowd, probably a little puzzled by the sudden pause in their journey, begin to close in around Jesus, drawing closer to hear what he's about to say. Remember that at this point in his ministry, Jesus had done many miracles, including feeding the 5,000. People were intrigued by him 
and many were hoping he was the one to rescue them from Roman rule and bring prosperity back to Israel. Like we do so many times, the crowd looked to Jesus for what he could do for them. It is this attitude and mindset that Jesus addresses when he begins to speak. He tells them that if anyone comes and follows him, but is unwilling to hate and renounce everything and everyone, including his own life, and if he's not ready to sacrifice, to bear his cross as he follows him, he cannot be his disciple. I believe that the people who heard Jesus say these words were shocked. He's saying to those who were following, have you considered what it will cost you to follow me? It's not what you think it is. There will be no abundance of food, freedom from Roman rule, or any other fantasy you've imagined in your mind or told yourself. Following me will cost you everything. If you're not willing to go all the way, suffer, sacrifice, give up your own wanted desires, your comfort, your lifestyle, and eventually your own life, stop. Turn around. Go your own way because you cannot be my disciple. Now, I know that someone was offended because we're about to see in chapter 15, those who were offended, they speak up. And you probably guessed it, it is the Pharisees. Here's what it says in chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, This is where Jesus begins to share those three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And this is important to see here because the Pharisees just complained that Jesus is wasting his time after the sinners. And yet through these stories, we're going to see the heart of God and his desire for the sinner and for the lost. More importantly, we'll see why Jesus came to do what he did. That the work that God the Father had given him to do was to redeem the lost. And that same ministry has been given to all of Jesus' followers. In these three stories, we find that there are three things that are common to each story. First, something is lost. Second, that same thing is found. And third, there's rejoicing and a celebration. Now, for a long time, I must admit, I never saw a connection between Luke 14, 15, and 16. I thought they were all separate teachings of Jesus, but missed the fact that there's an intentional message and a thread that connects them all together. To understand this connection, let's look at Luke 16 before unpacking chapter 15 and the three stories. At the beginning of Luke 16, Jesus, still standing before the crowd following him, does something unusual. He turns away from the crowd and begins to address his disciples. Don't miss this because what he's about to say will make perfect sense when you consider that he's not talking to everyone, many of whom were not true followers. He's talking only to his disciples. Now bear with me as I set the stage here again, sharing the details of this story. The story Jesus tells the disciples involves a relationship between a master and one of his stewards. The master finds out the steward is wasting his possessions and calls him to give an account. It's evident in the story that the steward is going to be fired, so he begins to use his position as steward to leverage the master's wealth to make deals with people who were indebted to the master. He hopes to make friends so he could call upon after he was fired by reducing what they owed. The master, recognizing his shrewdness, albeit dishonest tactics, does something unexpected. He commends the steward. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the disciples were scratching their heads at that statement. Was Jesus saying that the ends justify the means? 
that being shrewd was the goal, regardless of what the outcome or the actions were, honest or dishonest? Of course not. Jesus has been saying a few things up to this point, and we can't miss that these things are connected. He's not randomly jumping from one topic to another without having a point. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He doesn't do random things. He's purposeful and intentional in all he says and does. Immediately after stating that the master commended the unjust steward, he says to them, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Luke 16, 8. Remember, Jesus is only talking to his disciples here. Through that statement, he makes two distinctions. First, there's a difference between the sons of light and the sons of this world. The disciples were not of this world. They were true followers, and therefore, the sons of light. Second, compared to the sons of this world, the disciples were not working as hard, risking as much, and doing whatever it took to accomplish their mission. He then says to them, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. We'll unpack that meaning in a moment. But first, it's worthwhile to pause and remind ourselves that these words, although directly spoken to the disciples, are relevant to anyone who was, is, or will be a disciple of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, they apply to you. What Jesus told his disciples to do, he is telling you to do. Jesus tells the disciples to make friends, in the same way and with as much shrewdness as the dishonest manager. They were to make friends by using unrighteous mammon. Mammon is defined as earthly goods, property, or riches. Jesus also personified mammon as a demon in Matthew 6.24 when he said, You cannot serve God and mammon. So why is mammon unrighteous? Well, to avoid going down a rabbit trail, which I can easily do, I'll suggest you do your own research on unrighteous mammon because it is worthwhile. The best description I found of why mammon, or wealth, is unrighteous is because this world is unjust. And every bit of wealth we have is somehow tainted by that injustice. And though wealth is amoral, it can change, and it does change, based on how we use it. Because of the many warnings about riches and how it can easily tempt and destroy our lives, Jesus' view of this wealth as unrighteous can be understood. It is not because God created it that way. God created all wealth, and it all belongs to Him. However, when man takes wealth such as gold, silver, or copper, shapes it into a coin, and places a human face on it, it becomes part of this world system. It becomes unrighteous mammon, which man uses in buying and selling. Now, Jesus tells the disciples to use this unrighteous mammon and be its master instead of allowing it to become their master. They were to use it shrewdly, wisely, not dishonestly, to make friends, which would result in them being welcomed in eternal dwellings. When would this happen? The phrase, that when you fail, reveals the answer. Fail here means death, or the end of their life here on earth. The death of the disciples would be the end of their stewardship, much like the firing of the unjust steward ended his stewardship. Similarly, they also would be called upon to give an account of their stewardship. Therefore, Jesus is instructing them on what to do to ensure they would receive their eternal reward. Now, let's remember one of the most important questions we need to ask as we read God's Word, and that is, what does the Scripture mean, and why does it matter? More specifically, why did Jesus direct his followers to use unrighteous mammon, and why does it matter? Since studying the Scripture, 
I now see Luke 15 as the best answer for what God wants. I hope you'll agree with me that these three stories that Jesus told reveal what God wants the most. So let's return to the three parables of Luke 15. The first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, end with rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. Now pretend you've never been to church in your whole life. If you read these scriptures about a lost sheep and a lost coin for the first time, you'd think, what do sinners repenting and heaven rejoicing have to do with these stories? It is only in the third parable, the parable of the lost son, that we understand the connection. When the son returns to the father after living a prodigal life, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The prophet Isaiah penned the following words hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The symbolism he uses should grab your attention. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53.6 We've all lived life on our own terms at some point, and we've rejected God, the Father. It's the second part of this verse that's amazing to me. God took all the iniquity, past, present, and future, and laid it upon his son. So why did he do it? Well, in the parable of the prodigal son, the father's response to the son's repentance is total joy. Actually, he doesn't directly respond to the son. Instead, he tells his servant to put the best robe and a ring on his finger, acts that depict restoring him to the position of sonship. That's what God wants. God cares about the lost. He wants to restore you and me to the position of his son and daughter. There's much rejoicing when one who is apart from God repents and comes back to the Father. And we, like the disciples, are called to play a part in God's redemptive work. That's the connection. When we zoom out and look at the complete dialogue of Jesus in these passages, we see an important theme emerge. Jesus begins with a call to count the cost before becoming a true follower of his. He then paints a vivid picture of the heart of God for those that are lost and his desire to bring them back to himself. That's chapter 15. And finally, he describes the role of all true followers as stewards who are called to work diligently to win friends, that is, to seek those that are lost, using earthly resources, unrighteous mammon. What we cannot miss in all of this is the call to give an account. Like the dishonest manager, we will all have to give an account for our stewardship. We have one life, and when we take our last breath, our stewardship on this earth will end. Will you receive a reward, or will you suffer loss? There's a short passage between the call to leave all and follow Christ in Luke 14 and the parable of Luke 15. It says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus used this simple illustration to make a profound statement regarding discipleship. For salt to be good, it must maintain its characteristics. And the same is true for disciples. A true follower of Jesus has counted the cost and is intentionally and shrewdly using whatever she has at her disposal, including money and wealth, so that others may be found and redeemed to the Father. A faithful disciple is a faithful steward who is shrewd in managing and using unrighteous mammon to accomplish that which the Father wants, the redemption of sons and daughters. 
Now, I'd like to leave you with what I believe is a great visual to emphasize how important the scripture and these words of Jesus really are. The movie Schindler's List, the winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, is based on an incredible true story that follows the enigmatic Oscar Schindler, played by Liam Neeson, who saves the lives of more than 1,100 Jews during the Holocaust. It is the triumph of one man who made a difference in the drama of those who survived one of the darkest chapters in human history because of what he did. I strongly encourage you to watch this short movie clip. You can access it from the link in the show notes of this podcast. The end scene of the movie shows Schindler surrounded by the people he helped save. And as he looks at them, he realized he could have done so much more. He then says, if I made more money. I threw away so much money. Then he looks at his car and says, this car, why, why did I keep this car? Ten people right there. Ten more people. And then he confesses, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. And as he breaks down into tears, he says, I could have gotten one more person. And I didn't. This man did extraordinary things, saving 1,100 lives. Yet as his car drives away, and the reflection of all those people are seen through the car window. The look on his face isn't joy and celebration. It's regret, because he could have done more, but he didn't. I don't know how true to life that story is, but it's such a true picture of our situation and what we might be facing. Will we have regret, or will we stand before Jesus, and will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope the latter is true for all of us, because what's at stake is not just our lifestyle or our wealth. What's at stake is lives. And we know what the Father's heart is all about now. It's to save those that are lost. So I hope that you and I can rise up and use every resource and shrewdly, shrewdly pursue every opportunity to use every resource to help God redeem those that are lost. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, do me a favor and share it with someone else. And if you want to know more about CSN and what we're all about, visit us at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. We have different events and different resources for churches and church leaders, and we would love to be that resource for you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader.